Hey everybody, Magnus here. This is going to be another shoot the shit episode. I probably am going to discuss it a little bit more in depth later on in this episode, but that's basically where we are with it. This is another shoot the shit episode, and like last time, hope you enjoy it. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Doctor Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and this week I've got jack shit to talk about. It's kind of a long, boring, pointless story. I'm not going to bother you with it, except to say that what I originally intended for this episode ended up kind of getting thrown overboard. It's a million to one shot. It's really not anybody's fault, but there it is. So, last time this happened, uh, J. David Weeder was kind enough to pitch in and help me out, and really what it comes down to is bail me out. And so this time, same kind of a situation, I've got somebody else new here to save my bacon, so I'd like to welcome the Starman Observatory co-host, Mr. John M. Wilson. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's happy to be here. <laughs> right. Well, I'm glad to have you. And like I said, I mean, thank you again for coming because, you know, you really are saving my bacon here. I really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to do this, especially since it was so last minute. I mean, like the original plan we had was actually, it was so far in the future, but it was, I just had an unexpected pocket of free time today. And so, you know, anyway, so I'm, like I said, I'm just really glad that you were able to make it. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's a nice little Sunday afternoon. Podcasting is always fun. So here we are. And uh, I don't know who this Jack Shit guy is we're talking about, but I don't really have a whole lot to say about him. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, his brother's bullshit. And anyway, yeah, it's, it, it's a whole family full of shit. Oh, is that girl Fulla? Are they related? Bullshit? Yeah, that, that's his wife. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. She's hot. Uh, yeah, well, except for the fact that, you know, I can't stand talking to her. I just, I don't believe a word that comes out of her mouth. But who anyway. Who talk to her? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, touche. All right, you got me there. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, way back in episode number 29, this was the Mary Magnus Marching Society talking about comic book movies. Originally, uh, John M. Wilson was actually supposed to participate in that, and then what ended up happening... I honestly don't remember what ended up happening. I just remember... I wrote down the wrong time, and so I got online. It was all ready to go, and I was like, wait a second. I'm an hour late, aren't I? And so, yeah. It, it, it's kind of all my fault. Oh, okay, well... 
All right, well, the, the point is I gave the guy my word a long time ago that, hey, yeah, you know, we need to get together. We need to do this. It's going to be fucking great. Yeah, we'll have you on and, you know, and all this stuff. And I made all these promises. Yeah, it's, it's going to be big and all this and fucking nothing happened, right? No matter whose fault it is, nothing happened. <laughs> and so, I, you know, obviously I felt pretty bad about that. And, and it's just this promise that's just been kind of it, – it's like the sword dangling over your head. It's just – it's out there. And, and so, like I said, I mean, um, apart from saving my bacon, this is also a good chance for him – for me to make good on my promise to him, bring him on the show, and then uh, we can talk about some stuff. So since you're my guest and since you're the, this is the first time, I'm going to put the entire burden of this thing on you. Uh, what you've been reading lately? Oh, uh, lots of stuff. Um, I actually do several other podcasts, so some of my reading has been for that and some of my reading has just been for whatever. But uh, the the New 52 Adventures of Superman is a show that I've – used to do with uh, J. David Weeder and Charlie Niemeyer and at one time Michael Kaiser, but we wrapped it up last summer because of just various things and then I was starting to miss it. I was starting to miss the chance to talk about new uh, new Superman comics, so I've revived it and I just was editing before I came over here. I was editing the latest episode that we're talking about the, um, the latest Superboy trade, Volume 3, which was his origin story at the end of it. So I've been reading some of that new 52 Superman stuff. I don't know how, have you been reading much Superman in the, in the new books? Uh, new 52. Now what ended up happening was, um, all due respect to you and your podcast. It just kind of felt like the Superman that I was looking for at that moment is gone, you know? And so I was, I just kind of found myself at this crossroads that, you know, I was actually an early adopter for the new 52. I was actually very much on board with it. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of, you know, just over time, I would say like maybe the first six, seven, eight months of the new 52, I'll, the situation with Superman kind of got solidified and clarified to where this is something that, you know, if anybody is out there enjoying it, you know what, I don't want to ruin it for you. I don't want to take away your enjoyment or tell you that it sucks or whatever. I'm just going to say that it's not for me. Gracefully bow out. And so, but where I'd left it off, I want to say that the... Um, uh, Grant Morrison was trying to convince us that, I don't know, 20 or 21-year-old Superman can jump into uh, into uh, orbit. And mm -hmm. that's about the time that I that I uh, bowed out. I, and the sad thing is, I actually otherwise kind of liked the, that specific story. And I also kind of liked uh, Rags Morales' art. So it's not so much a, a matter of content. It was more, I guess, the foundation of it. Just it, it was not for me. Uh, put it that way <clears throat> yeah it was uh and it's been it's been a bit of a rump, bumpy road like you had george perez and grant morrison writing two different books and then george perez didn't get to tell the story he wanted to tell the way he wanted to tell it and so he bows out of the book after one arc and then they bring in somebody else to do book the book for six months and then he's gone after six months and scott lovedell picks it up with issue 13 and actually has some pretty good stuff but now we're already a year into things right and grant morrison was still cranking along in action comics but you know how grant morrison can be sometimes sometimes he's you know oh my gosh this is one of the best superhero stories ever but a lot of times he's just really hard to parse to really figure out what he's doing and why he's doing it so it wasn't until he was done around issue 18 or 19 or whatever it was that we finally got to look back and see what story it was that he was trying to tell. And so it's been an interesting road. I've enjoyed a lot of it as it's gone, but looking back at it, this isn't one of the most amazing eras for Superman by any means. Um, Supergirl has been a much 
more consistent and enjoyable read. And the, some of the later titles they've come up with, like uh, Superman Wonder Woman, uh, that's been a phenomenal book. I've really enjoyed reading that. So it's it's a mixed bag with Superman right now. And I'm not afraid to say that even though I ha- have a podcast that's trying to extol the virtues of it, or at least, you know, parse out the continuity of it and everything. But it's been it's been a bumpy road. Fair enough. Now, that actually kind of leads into something that, honestly, I mean, I, I realize that maybe Google would have been my best friend on this, but... <clears throat> I'm not really sure exactly what my search string should have been for something like this. My understanding, misunderstanding as, as I think the case turned out, going into the New 52, I thought this was going to be a scorched earth, page one, full scale fucking reboot of Superman, right? And so basically it goes, if it was in continuity before, it is out of continuity now. And what I've, and I think it was actually, of all things, Swamp Thing number one that ended up sort of casting some doubt on that in that we know for sure that Superman died in some sort of capacity mm-hmm. I think we can maybe surmise that Doomsday probably had something to do with it but I don't I, it, I guess number one did that ever get fleshed out number two was I right or wrong that this was a full scale beginning or is this just another fucking retcon as far as Superman goes it was 99% white Okay. Yes, he did deal, still die at, in some capacity at po- at some point, which has been mentioned a couple of times. It was not, as we've found out recently, it was not Doomsday that was involved with that. Okay. Um, Doomsday's actually been trapped in the Phantom Zone ever since he was put there by Kryptonians back in the day, and he's only recently gotten out for the first time. Uh, so in whatever capacity Superman has died and come back, they have not yet revisited that story. So do they plan to maybe Matt Idelson said they do have a story they want to tell with that, but it would around the six or eight ish, uh, month point. He said it'd probably be issue 20 or so before they got to that. And here we are looking at issue 30 coming around the road and we haven't heard that story yet. So they may or may not ever tell that story, but it's for Superman's continuity if it happened before Flashpoint, you can pretty much discount it. Okay. All right. Well, and now, and that actually sort of leads into something else. The, um, I was reading before I gave up sort of completely on the new 52, I was reading all things Superman that, that, that was coming out at that time, which it's not much. I mean, I think that basically it came down to well, four and a half titles, uh, Superman, action comics, Superboy, Supergirl, And depending on how you view it, Justice League, right? Right. <clears throat> now, of those, I, I, I kind of have to agree with you. I was on board with Superboy, kind of right from – or Supergirl, I should say. I was on board with Supergirl really right from the start because it was – my view of uh, of Kara is, has always been that – I guess I didn't really get her, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand like what exactly <clears throat> it was supposed to be that she was bringing to the table. And so what I eventually realized was that – Basically, Kara works best when she's when she is the the estranged outsider. When she is what basically some writers try to kind of portray Superman as the sort of alienated loner. If you put Kara in that milieu, and you basically have a Superman that's a lot more at home on Earth and and comfortable with humanity, the idea of leading a double life and all that stuff, then you then you insert Kara into that. Somebody who's culturally Kryptonian and is really kind of out of her depth here on Earth. To me, that actually works better because you're not just giving us 
sort of a female Superman. Now she really is a different character, and they have overlapping powers, but she comes at this with a very different point of view. And so there's a there's a sense in which this is kind of Supergirl, the way I'd always wanted to see her. And so it, it, it did, for her participation, actually did kind of break my heart that I ended up having to kind of turn my back on the new 52 because it kind of felt like, okay, great. They at least got this right. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that, that's really what they've been doing with her. She's frustrated with the fact that, you know, to her five minutes ago, she was on Krypton. She was living a teenage life, getting ready to do some coming of age type of stuff. And, you know, she had this baby cousin that she was babysitting every now and then. And then she wakes up and she's in Siberia. Right. So it's, it's a very difficult place for her to be in, and she has had a lot of anger. They sold the book as being about an angry teen, which sort of put people on edge going into it, but it actually has been doing that rather well, and the new writer is actually bringing a lot of that to a head. He's had her get so frustrated and so pissed off at her lot that a red lantern ring has found her. Oh, shit. And he's using this story as sort of a, a crest and a pinnacle for that whole rage theme to come to a head and get resolved because he wants to do new things with her. Hmm. So I kind of like that. He He's come onto the book. He's taking everything they've done so far, bringing it to a head, and then setting her on a new road in story. You know how some writers, they come on a book and they're just like, oh, what were you doing? Oh, fuck that. Let's do this. Yeah. And he's not. He's 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 building on what's gone before so that he can close that and do something new. And I like that. But yeah, he, she is currently Red Lantern Supergirl in the latest issue that's hit. And that's 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 very interesting because she's a Kryptonian mm-hmm. with a lantern ring. Yeah, that actually sounds very cool actually. I like that. <laughs> I like that concept. Now, another thing that sort of worked for me is when was it that the DC bought out Wildstorm? That's like 1997 or 98, wasn't it, or 99? I think so. I wasn't on the comic scene when that happened. Most of my Wildstorm stuff has been coming in the aftermath. All right, fair enough. All right. Well, I th- I read all the New 52 Wildstorm stuff, but I don't know how much that relates to what happened before. Yeah, well, I, and to be honest with you, I don't either. My understanding is there's been like two or three attempts at it, some sort of a relaunch and maybe there's a reboot mixed in there. I fucking, I couldn't tell you, but <laughs> one of the things though, that, that came out of the new 52 that I think is sort of positive has been finally, if you view this as a good thing, finally the incorporation of the Wildstorm characters into the DC universe. And they didn't come right out and say so, at least not at first, but when I was reading super, uh, Superboy. One of the things that I kind of started wondering was whether or not <clears throat> that uh, redheaded uh, lab technician, if that was actually Caitlin Fairchild from Gen 13. Yes, she is. Right, yeah, and it was just a sort of slow buildup. And it, it's kind of funny that if if the New 52 was your introduction to all things comics, then you don't know and you don't care who she is. And so to you, she's just another character. But if you – but I actually read and kind of – I. I enjoyed Gen 13, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there laughing. But you know what? Fuck you guys. You were reading it too. So <laughs> so you don't like it? Eat me. But anyway. so And it kind of added just another layer of enjoyment to it for me. And I thought that apart from Supergirl, Superboy, and maybe – again, I seem to be in the minority on this. But I actually really enjoyed what Scott Lebdell was up to up until the point that I ended up leaving now – the people who have expressed a more negative appraisal of of his work, uh, 
keep in mind they've read a hell of a lot more than I have, so there's a sense in which they're definitely more informed, but I just kind of felt like I liked where things were headed with Superboy and the fact that he had different, like, substantially different powers. And on, on the whole, the whole thing, it worked for me. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm saying so many positive things here about the New 52 that it's like the, the obvious question is, well, if you liked Green Lantern, you liked Aquaman, you liked Firestorm, you liked Supergirl, you liked Superboy, you, liked, you mostly liked Justice League, the fuck's the problem? Well, again, it kind of goes back to Superman. I mean, to me, he's the linchpin of the DCU. And to me, if you fuck that up, which in my opinion they they did, and, and again, all due respect to people who are enjoying it, it's just not for me. If you fuck that up, it just I hadn't I guess I'd never really rationalized it to myself that way. My DC fandom, or at least collecting, is so heavily fucking predicated on Superman that if that's not right, it's hard for me to get into anything else. I don't care how well written it is. So Anyway, I, so it's kind of – I feel like I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here. But when I say I enjoyed Superboy, I really did think uh, Scott Lobdell had a lot of good ideas there. So, Yeah, of the four main titles that we had for the first couple of years, Superboy was probably my lowest. But not to say I didn't enjoy it. It was – how to say – Sometimes the writing was better than the story, and sometimes the, 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 it was the reverse. The story was better than the writing. Um, Lubdell was not the most consistent in his in his writing style there. Um, and so whenever he was getting picked up for Superman, I was a bit apprehensive. And then I read issue 13, and I was kind of blown away because this is a Superman that I really, really wanted to read. And the, he did a big crossover with all the super books called Hell on Earth – he has done a, a psi war, a PSI war with a whole bunch of mentally powered beings that Superman's been dealing with. Um, I think he's leaving the book now because the sales are not where DC wanted it to be. Hmm. I actually think that Lovedell had a lot more story that he wanted to tell, and he's leaving before his time. But I, they're putting Jeff Johns and John Romita Jr. on the book. Yeah. And I... I have nothing bad to say about that. I mean, John Romita Jr. is an artist that I, I kind of have mixed reviews on, but I can I can enjoy it. It's 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 not Kenneth Roquefort, but I, I can like it. Um, and Jeff Johns, he's been writing good Superman over in Justice League. He made Aquaman a character to be reckoned with again. He had the you know seventy five years on Green Lantern that he did, and you know he does good stuff. So I'm looking forward to his run on Superman. Well, my view of Jeff Johns was always that if you can keep him away from the big icons, yeah, he's 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 really good, very enjoyable. But there's something. I was doing Superman, which is like the big icon. Uh, Yeah, well, (laughs) right, and that 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 was something else. uh, Jeff Johns, they're going on to uh, Jeff Johns and John Romita. They're John Romita Jr. They're on Superman. That's what they're coming on Superman in a few months. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I don't Superboy know. I mean, we're it's talking a... about Superboy. I guess Superboy is. I have been really intrigued by Superboy, especially in the last year, because they did a really complex origin story for him. Whenever they finally spilled all the beans mm-hmm. on his background, but it was kind of one of those epic stories that has a whole lot of background to it that I sort of devour and, and eat up and really enjoy. Some people said it would have fit really well in a 90s X-Men story, and maybe that was supposed to be a negative thing, but I actually really enjoyed it. But um, 
the character was kind of I really don't know if they know what to do with him and they've killed him recently and replaced him with a different Superboy and and it's just I don't know if they know where they're going Weird. or if they're just kind of trying to keep things interesting and keep things above water I honestly don't know hmm. so it's kind of a it's kind of frustrating because while yes things are decent from day to day what's the point of this character you've made so many changes recently so that, I, I, that, that is weird. That is really like, okay. So basically the character that debuted in Superboy number one is no longer with us. And it's basically another iteration of that character or it's somebody new and entirely somebody whose existence is related to the origin of the character we had is now the character. Is... And I can say more if you want me to, but since you haven't heard the issues yet, I don't know if you want to spoil it all for you. Um, b- uh, by all means, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, Superboy is a clone mm-hmm. of three people, Superman, mm-hmm. Lois Lane, and their son that they haven't had yet. Because the person who made Superman, Superboy is from the future, so he was able to get the material from the son. And that son is now Superboy. Okay, so the original Superboy was a, a – he was, I guess, this sort of clone, and now – the new guy is, in fact, Superman Jr., in effect. Yes. But wow. raised... But yeah. And there's more to it than that. And it's, it's you know, the story when they told it really resonated with everything that got on. But now it's just kind of this weird place. Okay, well, the character we were invested in for 26 months is gone now. And you have this other character. And I don't know what you're going to do with them because the guy who created all this... And who's been using this character in the Teen Titans book is leaving Teen Titans with issue 30. And so what what direction are we going to go in? I, I, right now I'm kind of feeling at a, a bit of a loss of a compass with the Superboy character. Gee, I can't really blame you for that. Actually, you know what? <laughs> that actually, to me, that actually kind of seems like it has a lot of – and by which I mean the original, the I guess the hodgepodge clone person guy mm-hmm. that we're talking about i can see a lot of fucking potential with that you know and because you know this is a story that doesn't necessarily ever have to be paid off in continuity you can just say at some vague point in the fucking future even if it's just the day before they die superman and lois have a kid yeah and you don't have to mess around with that too much and besides on top of all that this isn't even that guy this is a sort of genetically engineered super version of all three of these people and oh God, and I, I just kind of feel. I mean, it's a very complicated origin. I'll I'll give you that, but it. I don't know. I just see a lot of potential there, and it just kind. Wow, that's that's a hell of a waste. That's a lot of squandered potential there. To me. And so, well, I don't I don't want to come off like I'm slamming the creators because they have the stories that they want to tell and everything, and and I respect that. I'm just as a reader trying to go along with the story I'm being given. Right now, I'm feeling a, a little bit. Ask me again in six months how I feel about Superboy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Now, um, one of the comics, or actually one of the few comics that I've really been following lately since um, I guess I went into DC Exile mm-hmm. is it's been Smallville uh, Season 11. And Ooh, yes, yeah, and I really and I realize they don't actually call it Season 11 anymore, but you know what? Fuck it, it's Season 11. And 
one of the things that actually kind of hit me, and I want to say it was, I, I don't really think I was able to really put it into words until, I got, of course, now I'm blanking on it. I think the, the, the standalone story, I think it was simply called uh, Titans. Yeah. And it hit me. I was like, okay, so this isn't just a, a Superman that I actually enjoy. It's not just that, and it's not even just a Superman that I enjoy predicated upon Smallville, which by itself, those either of those would have been enough all by itself. But this, to me, it really, what it comes off as is Smallville Season 11 is basically a safe harbor for people who want a DC universe that they understand, can relate to, and that makes sense to them. Because it's pulling a lot of elements from post-crisis. Mm-hmm. And while it does change them it changed them in such a way that they still feel like what they were. It's like, okay, you've taken this idea and put it in a new context, but it's still the same idea. Right. And, and so I guess in relation to that, if for those of you who had kind of a fixation for such a thing, Connor, and that is his name. Connor is a clone of super of uh, superman and lex so if you were just in love with that element of continuity from pre-flashpoint that's here the idea of the justice society of america being sort of elder statesman superheroes in the dc universe if you really like that concept that's here right and you know on and if you like even if you like the idea of sort of a multiverse and there are frequent crossovers and, and whatnot between the between the two or various universes or multiverse or whatever. That's here too. And it just it kind of feels like it's sort of basically everything that I loved about the Bronze Age, everything I loved about the pre-Flashpoint DC universe, everything that I loved about Smallville, all of that rolled into basically Adventures of Superman. And mm-hmm. I mean, God, this has been like really the. The weakest link, literally the only real problem that I can find with this comic has been the artists. And I think that a lot of the art has been kind of weak sauce. It's not been just out and out bad, but it's been at times very just fucking weak sauce. Other it than was that, one of the things I had the problem most far with with the Wonder Woman story is that that got really hard to follow towards the end. Really? And I think it was a lot of it was artistic. But yeah, while, while the artists can be hit and miss... The stories have just been amazing. The things he does with the characters and and also little things, little nods, like um, Otis. He brought back Otis. <laughs> and his last name is Burke. Yes, it is. <laughs> and um, um, at one point, Beautia was there from Captain Marvel. Right. I'm she just had a little cameo. That. She was a nurse somewhere. It wasn't a big deal, but she's there. And so, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, uh, Brian K. Vaughn has been given the entire DC pantheon to play with in any which way that he chooses. Hugh Miller. And he's doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that Olympus storyline. So you didn't like, who was it? Like, uh, Jorge Jimenez? Was that it? You didn't like, yeah. you didn't like his art? I liked the beginning of it. I just thought the the, the end of it, it got. And maybe it was the writing, maybe it was the art. It's been a while since I've read it, but um, I'm really not sure exactly how everything got resolved in that story. I had a, I had a hard time with it. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. No, that that makes sense. Um, and I was really excited, and I enjoyed the first few chapters of I and, and the concepts that he brought to Wonder Woman. I liked that. It's just the 
the whole big fight action sequence, the last couple of digital chapters, I was just kind of like, um, okay. But what I'll say that's is just, that's just a small part. Yeah, no, I, I I would actually tend to agree with that. Um, as far as the writing goes, yeah, uh, what I find is that he can. The stories themselves tend to be really good, and the writing and characterization, rock solid. I got nothing to say. He can write a hell of an introduction and a hell of a middle, but sometimes the resolution, and I don't necessarily mean climax, but I mean resolution, like falling action. Mm -hmm. Sometimes stories just sort of end, right? Right. And honestly, like there's a there's a moment actually specific. And by the way, spoilers. The basically the um, the I guess deep dark secret Superman's been carrying around through a lot of Smallville season eleven has been the fact that he's an alien. A lot of people have looked at him and assumed that he's some type of human, superhuman, but still fundamentally human. And at the very end of that storyline, Olympus, Superman meets with the president, a fictional president, too. God, I love that. It's like, wow, you guys really... I, I love fictional presidents. I, I, to me, that, that just works so perfect. But anyway, Superman meets with uh, the fictional president and then says, oh, hey, by the way, I'm an alien. And that's something he's been sitting on this entire time because contact was such a big... It was just such a big turning point for humanity that people really were not sure how they were going to feel about the the idea of aliens not only existing, but possibly aliens being hostile to Earth, and mm. maybe worst of all, aliens walking amongst us. And so Superman has been basically Earth's champion up through this whole thing, and now it comes out he too is an alien. And then how does that, how does that affect his... Uh, his role on Earth, his how, how is that going to change the dynamic for him, and for other people, for that matter? And, and so, to celebrate the event, they ended that phase of the book and launched a new title. Yeah, they did. So now we have Smallville Alien, where this is now the issue that they're dealing with. Yeah. But I agree with you. The sentence of the falling action is a bit sparse, and I think that might have to do with the format because it's a weekly digital. Mm -hmm. And so in that final chapter of the final chapter, you have to wrap up the action and bring the story to a conclusion all in one 99 cent digital book, right? which may not always be easy to do in a satisfying way. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, I, to me, I, to even, to even whine too much uh, about that, or at least too loudly, it's kind of missing the forest for the trees. There are so many good things about this book that, I don't know, it just, it, it feels like to me the, the good so far outweighs the bad that, mm -hmm. I don't know, it, it almost feels like you're missing the point if, if you whine too much about stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's really not worth making a big a big deal over. But nevertheless, I couldn't not mention it, so now I've mentioned it. Yeah, and, and the uh, the side stories have been good. I'm enjoying the format they use where, um, you know, you have your three issues that make a chapter, and then four chapters usually make a story. But then they'll also do side trips, and they had the Martian Manhunter storyline, and they had the Titans storyline, and they had the um, Zatanna and Constantine storyline that I'm pretty sure only served to bring Raven into the continuity. I think that's the only point that that was there for. I um, actually I, I tend to agree with that. I agree with that. But you know, <clears throat> one of the things actually I sort of liked about that story though is that there was a little bit of a reveal there in that 
I don't think they came right out and identified that character as Constantine until not the very end, but I don't... It was towards the end. I think that basically, if you knew who he... If you're familiar with Constantine, then I'm, I'm sure it probably wasn't... Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that because my brain just filled in the gaps on that. Right. And and one of the th- and I just was not thinking Constantine at the time. When I looked back at it, everything the guy says, does, it's all... Yeah, that's Constantine, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and then when it came out, oh, by the way, it just it didn't feel like it was a forced thing at all. His whole team up with Zatanna it was completely organic to the story, and I don't know. It just it, it, it kind of feels like in some ways this is sort of a validation of everything I ever loved about about Smallville as a show to begin with. That this, which is by the way, I, I have to say, it, it, for me, it's been relatively recent that I've listened to your. Um, what do you want to call it? Apology for Smallville? <laughs> Not apology in the I'm sorry sense, but apology as in expounding upon it uh, on its merits. Right, yeah. That was a great episode. <laughs> it was a good, great way to lead off your show. <laughs> well, can I tell you something? Um, that actually, that actually sort of became my calling card. I didn't even think about it at the time. I basically just did. I just threw together a really is a, a, a bunch of bullshit. Really, is what it came down to, and basically talking about things that I like that apparently nobody else does and stuff I don't like that apparently everybody else loves, right? And I way underestimated the amount of good fucking will that won me because even people who maybe don't like the Joel Schumacher Batman, at least admires admires somebody who's got the balls to say, you know what, guys, I liked it, you know? And Mm -hmm. anyway, so, um, but what ended up happening, though, is that the dark side there is that whenever you lambast something that is, like, way dear to people's hearts, like Superman 2, which I'm not saying is bad. I'm just saying I've got severe problems with it, and yeah. I don't I don't really understand the mentality of wanting to put that on the same level as the first one. To me, this is a very, very, very pale imitation. This is – it's just – it's everything that's, that's bad about a lot of sequels that they basically take a good concept and then kind of fuck it up, right? Superman right. the movie to me is infinitely a better movie than Superman 2 ever dreamed of being on its first day. And basically expressing that point of view got me so fucking much hate mail. You, I could tell you how <laughs> you know, and people thought, well, you know, dude, I thought you were on our side here. And I was like, well, I'm not really about picking sides. I just want to... Anyway, but thank you. You're, you're I, I on do... Magnus's side. The <laughs> only right side. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But anyway, thank you. I do appreciate that compliment. And I gotta tell you, that's actually been, one, as far as download numbers go, one of my most um, popular episodes. So um, now I think you're a little bit far behind. So um, I'm going to hit you with something you may not have known. I'm actually going to start an ongoing Smallville sort of fixture as part of my format. Basically, I was doing every eighth episode dedicated to Star Wars comics, which is fine if you're on Libsyn. But the minute you're on the Two True Freaks Network... That could maybe be a problem. I mean, do you really want to? Risk- do they have their Star Wars Monthly Monday? Yeah, and I don't. I don't want to do anything that. Anyway, there's just there are so many ways that could be misunderstood. Really, is what it comes down to. So, I thought, well, what I did before was sort of defend Smallville, kind of justify it, but I don't really think I talked too much about just why it's so fucking awesome, why I love it, and all this stuff, and really go over it with a fine tooth comb. So what I've, so what I'm, and this is actually going to launch very soon. It's going to be sort of a, a season retrospective, so a couple of a uh, couple of episodes from season one talk about those. The next couple of episodes, season one, talk about those, and then just basically work my way through the entire the entire series. 
And then I figure, well, after that, if I even, if, assuming I'm not sick and tired of Smallville, uh, maybe I'll talk about comics or something. I don't know. But that's that's coming up soon. So if you like that episode, there's there's more where that came from. So Well, it gives me an excuse to rewatch the show because a lot of it I've only seen once. And a lot of it I haven't seen since the broadcast. So I think the first, well... I actually thinking about it, there are probably very few episodes that I've seen more than once. So, oh. uh, yeah, that'll be a good excuse for me to watch it again. All right, cool. All right. Well, and the and the beauty of it is, it's it you it's not exactly, it's not quite four episode increments. Not exactly it, it, to start off. It's sort of uneven, and then it gets a lot more uneven later on because I've plotted mm-hmm. all this stuff out because I plan everything. But um, you know, if if you could probably get because it, it's basically every eighth week, right? Which comes out to basically every other month. I'm betting you can probably wedge if, – if you want to rewatch the show in tandem with my release schedule, I bet you could probably mm-hmm. watch four episodes in the span of eight weeks. So if that's okay. what you want to do. So anyway, no obligation, but anyway. So. Well, I know about the whole planning ahead thing because I, uh, I do that show with my daughter, Lily. Uh, she and I do Avengers Inspirations where we talk about – the um the Marvel comics from the Silver Age that have the characters that are in the movies, mm-hmm. which is a weird – you have to kind of – it's a long sentence to explain the format of the show. But um, if, if a character is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're talking about their comics. Mm-hmm. And so I planned out a whole bunch. I planned like our entire first year. Until we started getting behind schedule, we have not been able to do a weekly schedule because of school and everything for the last few months, which makes me sad. But I had our first 52 episodes planned out, what we talked about when. And and um, so, yeah, the whole uh, planning out ahead of time, you're not alone in that bag. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. And if you don't mind my asking, how old is Lily these days? She just hit 12. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so this is a good time for her to start really getting into this stuff. All right. Yeah, she, now I, I raised her on comics. Mm-hmm. Um, when the Iron Man movie hit and I got back into comics, she saw me reading them and she wanted in. So we started doing nighttime bedtime stories of comic books, and that went up until she no longer wanted nighttime bedtime stories. So we read uh, a lot of Silver Age Marvel. We read a lot of post-crisis Superman. Uh, we read the occasional Golden Age story, uh, the occasional new book, but it was mostly those two eras, Silver Age Marvel and post-crisis superman right so um and a few other dc books like while we were doing post-crisis superman when we hit the tim drake introduction we started reading his stories and so she knows fantastic four she knows spider-man she knows a lot of stuff and she doesn't really know thor or iron man or hulk so even though she knows the era the stories we're doing for the podcast are all new to her and some of them are to me because I haven't read a lot of Thor myself either. Um, I read Iron Man's entire Tales of Suspense run whenever the movie hit. Oh. But Thor, I've only read maybe the first ten issues of Thor. So we're going to get into some stuff that's completely new to me before too long. And um, so I'm, it, it's been a fun show to do. She's, she's, <laughs> she's really fun to podcast with. All right. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, I'm all for anything that gets uh, kids into comics. So – um, and if we're talking about planning ahead, now this isn't saying I've recorded all this stuff. I'm just saying I've basically blueprinted a good bit of my next several years, really. I'm up to episode number 379 in terms of stuff that I want to talk about on my show. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, and you know, the, the hell of it is, you know, and this is one of those things, I'm not saying this to, you know, complain about 
other fans because I'm going to comp- – because if I did, I, I'm basically complaining about people complaining. But there was an episode – and maybe this is the real genesis of my show. I don't know. But there was an episode of a, of a Views from the Long Box with uh, – uh, that's Michael Bailey's show, for those of you who don't know. And basically, Bailey and his semi-regular co-host, Shag, they they did an episode entitled Find Your Comic Book Joy. Mm-hmm. And rather than sitting there bitching and complaining about, you know, well, back in my day, just find the stuff that you like and just talk about that, you know, or read that or, or uh, I don't know, just bask in that in that era's awesomeness, you know, but the idea of... Of, of, of trying to make everything into this sort of sea of negativity or profanity or whatever else. You know, there's just so much good stuff out there, whether it's in, in back issue bins or whether it's new stuff that's coming out now. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't – there's no margin in it for anybody to sit there and complain all day when there's so much out there to, to, to admire, you know? And, and the, if, this, if the character that you want to enjoy – is in a place right now where you're not enjoying him. There's 75 years of comics, probably 50 of which or more have your character in them. So you can go and enjoy all that stuff and then come back in a year. You know, you didn't like issue 12. Okay. Try issue 24, you know, and in the meantime, go and enjoy lots of other stuff. There, there's, there's way too many good comics out there. And by good, I mean what you like. There's way too many comics out there that you like to spend time bitching about stuff that you don't. Right. That, yeah, and I, I completely agree. And, you know, and, and take me, for example. I mean, if I'm really determined to find something Superman to collect, well, I've got Smallville Season 11. I've got The Adventures of Superman. If the New 52 really bothers me that much, I can't say I'm lost in the desert here. There is stuff out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, so, um, and it, look, if... if Anyone who's out there, you're listening to this, you know, I just, I hope you take this to heart. There's so much to like about this format, so much to like about this medium, so many creative people out there telling just wonderful stories. Or if there's not, if you think everything out there is shit on a stick without a stick, that's fine. Go to the back issues, you know? I mean, I, I got to tell you, I came to a whole new level of appreciation of Superman when I really started digging into the Bronze Age. That's one area that I haven't hit yet. Um... I have been reading Superman not my whole life. I really just got into him around 2008, 2009. Mm. But since then, I have read from Action Comics 1 to Action Comics 275, every Superman comic in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and into the 60s. Um, Congratulations. So I have not yet gotten to the 70s. <laughs> and my uh, my more modern Superman is like... From Man of Steel to the end of Reign of the Superman, I know that era. I don't know really know much past that until you hit New 52. So while I love the character, and yes, he is my favorite character, I've the, the amount that I haven't read far outweighs what I have. So I'm making my way through. Every day I read at least one Superman book, um, and usually it's from 1961 because uh, I'm making my way through that old stuff. But Sometimes it's other other eras, um, but the Bronze Age is one area that I just really have zero experience with so far. Well, I don't want to set you up with like false expectations or anything, but honestly, I'm of the I, you know Michael Bailey has said again and again that when it comes to comics, you really can't go home again. That once a once the industry or a company or whatever once they close the book on a particular era in comics, 
pretty much that's it. I mean, there are it, there are very few exceptions to the to, to the rule where you can actually go back to something and it's exactly how things used to be. But that having been said, if tomorrow I woke up in a world where DC decided, you know what, fuck it, we're resurrecting the 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 Bronze Age and we're just going to act like Crisis on Infinite Earths never happened, basically pick up all the storylines with. Uh, just to arbitrarily throw out a date, May of 1986, and just basically pick up exactly where we left off. I would be very okay with that. I would yeah. be all right with that. And well, I I find with my Silver Age reading, and I'm still very early Silver Age, you know, mm -hmm. um, 1961. It's 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 the kind of era that the imagination and the universe they're building, I'm really really loving. Oh yeah. But the storytelling sensibilities are just still juvenile enough that right now reading Silver Age Superman makes me want to read Bronze Age Superman because I feel like my impression is that it's the same universe just crank the reading target up about five years as far as the age that you're aiming for with your books. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting there, but being the CDO person that I am, I'm, I'm going in order. Okay. Well, if in, in that case, I don't look. I don't want to take the risk of maybe spoiling anything for you, or for that matter, setting your expectations too high. But I do think you've pretty much got the Bronze Ages number. I, it's, I w people want to call it a warm reboot, and I don't think it's that exactly. They basically run with the Bronze, or sorry, the Silver Age as backstory. But there are certain things they just really don't talk about all that much. But it's still in continuity. We just don't really acknowledge it a whole lot. We don't really have a use for Comet the Super Horse in our stories. Doesn't mean he was never there. We're just not using him today. Right, and and so you know, if you really, if you have to come up with some sort of you know inventive fanboy explanation about it, you can just say that, well, Superman number what is it three or sorry two thirty three, mm -hmm. basically that is maybe five years after the Silver Age, and that we're just picking up like five years later, and so you know maybe a whole lot of shit went down in between. We don't know what happened. We're never going to find out about it. This is the new status quo, and get on board with that, or get your shit and get out, right? And and, <laughs> and that's basically it. And I, honestly, I have to tell you, um, re like reading that, uh, reading that run of comics of you know the Bronze Age starting at number, because to me, I, and I realize there are different there are differing opinions about this, but to me, Superman entered the entered the Bronze Age, in Superman number two thirty three. All right, there are people out there who want to say that it's that. Superman entered the Bronze Age when Jack Kirby came on to Jimmy Olsen, and they're entitled to their opinion. They're just wrong, and <laughs> and that's fine. And so you know, but that you know, reading that, it took about a year, and but the whole time, I mean, I was just happy, and I was what I was, I, and I guess the reason that I kept coming back was all the stuff that that you just mentioned. I don't think it's it's got quite the balls out imagination as the Silver Age, where literally fucking anything went. And I think maybe right. part of the Silver Age's just epic imagination and possibility came came down to the fact that they knew they were writing for younger for younger readers, and so you don't have quite as much of that. It's it's there. It's just not to the same level. But otherwise, you know, it just kind of felt like you know everything that was happening with Superman in in those comics is to me that's superman and so anyway i guess what i'm saying is i can't wait for you to get there if for no other reason than than to read your facebook posts about you know how you're spraying your shorts over how awesome it is <laughs> so and that's my little rhapsody for the day so there you have it 
Well, the um, the stuff I'm reading right now, it is fun. You know, did you see that? Um, I'm sure you saw it probably 15 times, but that two minute 75th anniversary animation they did for Superman. Oh yes, that was so awesome. So the little nod they do to the Silver Age and that is the uh, giant Jimmy Olsen Turtle Man. Right. I just read that issue yesterday. Oh really? How'd you like it? It was pretty cool. Um, as as with most Silver Age things, there's always some twist at the end, but they actually explained it in the letters column that they, um, I forget the, if it's O. Henry maybe, there's some short story writer who made his career on twist endings to his short stories. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of their editorial policy with their short stories in the early 60s is to try to keep you guessing and then give you a twist at the end to explain it all. So you have Jimmy Olsen who gets, you know, gigantified and turtle-fied and starts going on this monstrous rampage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone's scared because it's Jimmy, they love him, they're worried about him, and Superman's going to have to stop him. You know, Superman's going to have to do something to stop Jimmy Olsen and does not know what it is. And then it comes all out at the end that <laughs> out of nowhere left field, um, one of Lori Lamaris's Atlantean um, acquaintances is actually evil and was using a mind control ray to try to take over the world and Jimmy Olsen is going to be his puppet, etc., etc. But um, but the story itself, you know, it, it they're good to read because you can read in a lot of the pathos that maybe the writer doesn't specifically stay on the page. Right. Um, but I enjoyed it. So that, that's about where I am. Just just the height of imaginative insanity of the Silver Age. Well, and on that subject, did you ever see... Um, there was an episode of uh, Batman, The Brave and the Bold, right? Where... And I think it was... I think the title of it was uh, Battle of the Superheroes. Did you ever see that episode? It's uh, Superman's guest appearance. I did. And I've only seen it once back whenever it first came on. So my memory of it is a little bit fuzzy, but I remember being absolutely in love with it. And my impression coming out of it was if they took that Superman and made that into a cartoon, I would, I would, I would kiss somebody. I, I'd, I'd, I'd suck someone off. I don't know. I would love to see that cartoon because that was just everything a cartoon should be it was fun it was superman it was it was zany but it was taking everything about that was awesome about classic silver age superman and turning it into a modern day cartoon that we can all just just eat up and and i I really wanted to hear that that was going to be their next animated project and sadly we haven't had a superman animated project so no we haven't but you know i i I have to agree with you. When I when I saw that, I thought, okay, this is everything that I want, not just from Superman and animation, but Superman comics, on film. If this was to be the new status quo of Superman for at least a few years, all right, I'm, I'm beyond hoping for something for the rest of my life now. But if, for at least you know the next couple of years, if that's if that was the direction things had gone. I would have been absolutely on board with that. And the reason for that was because it was everything you said, all of the imagination, the just the epicness of it. But the other thing was they were not making fun of that era of Superman at all. They were not. It, they, it was not a send-up. It was a use of it. Right. And honestly, when I, I thought – I mean I'm a fan of uh, The Brave and the Bold to begin with. So I freely admit that I'm biased here. But that whole thing was just sort of a love letter to – uh, to the Silver Age of comics in general. Uh, well, I say DC specifically. But that particular episode, it just it hit home to me in so many ways because 
what I wanted from basically the world that I thought Smallville was ultimately building up to was more or less Battle of the Superheroes. Like that kind of just over the top insanity, imagination, science, fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was oh god, it was just so perfect. I love it so much. And and you are literally the first person I've ever met who's a, who who liked it as much as I do. So, you know, <laughs> congratulations. It's it's nice to know uh, there's a kindred spirit out there somewhere. Yeah, I I really I really did enjoy it. I was I knew it wasn't going to happen because yeah, the, the things we want to happen are never what actually happens. But I was just hoping against hope that they would come out and say, because there hadn't been a Superman cartoon in so long that surely he's due one, right? Right. So I was hoping it would just it would they would announce one, you know, the next season, and that would be that. And and we haven't gotten anything yet since then. So right. I'm trying to only let a little bit of my bitterness show through because I I did enjoy Young Justice. And I did enjoy seeing Superboy in that and the occasional Superman show uh, cameo. But it was it was not about them. It was about the team and them as members of the team. And I'd like to see a super cartoon. Right. To be I, honest, if I if I if I were God and I could just make the universe happen the way I wanted it to, um, I would turn every comic into an animated version of itself. So you could read the comics, or you could watch the watch the cartoons, and just all the stories would be there in animated form. But that can't happen because of reality. So. Oh, oh. So basically, then w- goings on with Green Lantern. Then a couple of years, at, at some point, they're going to do the Sinestro Corps War, and then after that, maybe they do. You mean literally just basically recapitulate comics in animation? Uh, well, you know, whenever I was a kid and I was reading comics, I could always, you know, like. I imagined the comic panels as being like a storyboard for a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And in my head, when I'm reading, the cartoon is playing out. Right. And I just, as a kid, I always wanted to see that cartoon. I always wanted to see, you know, the Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom and, and Spider-Man and, and the Sandman and the Sinister Six, see all that on the cartoons. And and now, as an adult, you know, I realize that there are so many problems with that but there's still that little kid inside of me that wants to see my cart my comics get turned into cartoons so um there's probably no one else who wants to see that but yeah i i would (laughs) i'd love to absolutely well and you know it's kind of funny that you know when when you say that you would want the basically the the panel to serve as a storyboard i think that was robert rodriguez's guiding philosophy when he was directing uh sin city or maybe i should say the first sin city movie Mm -hmm. um basically as much as possible, what he what he attempted to do was use those panels, and as he, I think what he said was basically make Frank Miller's Sin City. And honestly, if you must involve Frank Miller in the creative process, I think he's pretty much proven that's maybe about as far into it as maybe Miller needs to go. Right. But I kind of wondered about that, you know, at least at the time, you know, why don't we see more of this, you know? Because it, to me, it's kind of an obvious way to go with. You know, this with the stories that you're telling. Now, I realize that, again, you know, comics and film, they tell different types of stories. And so you, it would be really hard to basically make a direct translation of the story of a, of a comic book, notwithstanding content. I mean, just the plot, because so much of it is so contingent on continuity and whatnot, and that's fine. But at least some, some standalone stories, like, is there any reason why, in a perfect world, if you were, if you were going to make a, a, a reboot of the Superman franchise, you couldn't, and you wanted to kind of riff on Birthright. 
fuck it. Why not just adapt Birthright? I mean, it's right there. It's ready to go. Right. Why not do it? Anyway, so yeah, all of this is my way of saying, you know, I, I agree with you. Whether it's live action or whether it's animated or, or just whatever else, it's – one of the things that I, I guess I kind of resent as far as trends in comics is this tendency to want to make comics a little bit more cinematic than I think they are. I would actually like to see the reverse of that happen where film or animation or whatever else, basically motion picture of some kind – is made maybe more comic book like, mm-hmm. and I think Brave and the Bold, oddly enough, is a very good uh, case study of what exactly can go right with that. Because now and then they would do those kind of slow motion action scenes that kind of emulate comic book panels a little bit, right? And I think it, I think the end result of that, you know, again, it's obviously not for everybody because definitely a lot of people aren't necessarily hip to Brave and the Bold, but. I rather enjoyed it. So anyway. Well, I think there's room for various kinds. And animation is one of those places where you can do just about anything. I think when you're talking about theatrical films, there's a certain expectation for how it's going to feel. Mm. But um, but they're making a Preacher TV show now. And if there was ever a comic that was designed to be the storyboard of a film adaptation, I think it's Preacher. Just I'm, I've only read about a third of the run. But it it really does feel like uh, this is meant to be filmed. And um, I think you are familiar with the Hey Kids Comics podcast. Yeah, they've gotten a lot of mileage out of Preacher. Yeah, but but Andy Leyland over there has said the same thing. Is like, you know, if they're going to turn Preacher into a show, I want them to just use the comic. You have you already have the script. Don't hire a scriptwriter. You have the script. And just use the comic to make a show. So, well, I think The Walking Dead is a good is a good example of what exactly can go wrong whenever you have something that is already fucking written. It's already there. All you have to do is literally just shoot the shit. And and look, I I, I say this. I don't even know where you are on, in, in terms of The Walking Dead TV show, but I sort of I, I mean I pretty much washed my hands of that back in the. The second season where the eighth fucking episode in a row is about looking for some little girl who's obviously won the Darwin Award. I think we can all agree on that. She's probably fucking dead, and of course she was. was And I think the total of it was like nine or ten episodes looking for somebody that we all know for a fact is up shit creek without a paddle. And fuck all happened in in those episodes. And it just just feels like it's it's just, just such a waste. It's just such a waste that something that should have written itself has gotten so fucked up, you know? Yeah, and they want to make it different. They want to, you know, tell the same overall story and yet change all the details to keep people guessing. And I understand that. But at the same time, that second season did really suffer from just lack of plot. Mm-hmm. Um and they did stretch out that that search for that girl way too far. And it's like the writing and the dialoguing and the scene shooting, I, I you know, very rarely have a problem with that. But then you sit back from a 45-minute episode and you're like, okay, so what what do we actually gain today? <laughs> mm. And the second season really suffered from that. Um, I'm I'm about a year behind on The Walking Dead. It's one of those shows that I was watching last year. And then after the Christmas break, I just never got back into it. Arrow is another one. I've, I've heard so many good things about Arrow, and I've only seen the first half of the first season. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Well, when Weeder was on the show, he was going on and on and on about that they have the the odd clunker episode. There's no there's no question about it. But so far, their batting average is really fucking good. And I haven't I haven't even watched the show at all. And you know there are reasons for that. I'll spare you. But if you're a if you're a fan of the show, apparently you are really missing out uh, so far and not getting more you know caught up with it and everything because it only gets better as, according to him. And they're doing a spinoff. Yes, they are. What'd you think of uh, that uh, Flash or what we saw anyway of the Flash costume? I pulled it up and I said, "This is a Flash costume." They're not doing some guy called Barry Allen who has the Flash's powers and all the Flash trappings, but isn't the Flash. This is a guy in a Flash costume. And I was just so happy to see that. (laughs) I was too. Well, and the thing, like, if you told me ahead of time uh, that rather than having those wings on the side of his head, he actually has the lightning bolts. Mm -hmm. If you told me about that at the time, that that's how things are going to be sort of captain america style just sort of flat against against his skull i would have said you know what i don't know that this is going to work for me and that's that's what i would have told you right seeing it for the first time uh it's obviously a very new 52 influenced outfit but it's still really good and it's i don't even know what the new 52 other than the the chin guard I, d- I didn't really think of anything else New 52-ish about it. And the chin guard, only because he's never had a chin guard before until, you know, 2011. Well, I think it was coming uh, – basically, it's a it's a profile picture, right? And so you can mm-hmm. see part of his right shoulder. Not much, but you can see part of his right shoulder. And some people think that he's wearing a, a jacket. And so what you're seeing is this sort of darkened area. That's a crease in his jacket that he's wearing. To me, though, it looked like – that you know those I don't know what you call it those sort of rivets or not rivets but sort of indentations he has in his in his little outfit that sort of the, 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 the like the yellow piping yeah that's what it is and maybe that when he runs at full speed th- those sections will fill in yellow whenever he's running and then when he comes to a stop then it just goes back to just ba- being I guess just well piping you know and it's just as like, long as it goes back to being because. One thing about the Flash's current costume I really can't don't like is all the yellow lines. It's yeah. fine when he's running. Give him lots of yellow. Fill him up with lots of yellow lines when he's running because that's the whole speed force lightning effect. But once he's standing still, make all that yellow crap go away. I agree. Well, and you know, and it it just kind of feels like. And again, I hate to riff too much on the the Weeder episode, but uh, he actually made a very good point. He actually kind of likened this to Daredevil syndrome, where you need something there to kind of break up all of that sort of visual red monotony. And mm-hmm. I get that. If that's what you're trying to do, by all means. It's just that it kind of feels like they, they chose the just absolute dumbest, just short-sighted way to do it. And I think the end result is just kind of butt-fugly, dude. I mean, I just <laughs> – I don't like the way that the – I mean, look – I People want to bitch and complain about the chin guard. I, dude, I mean, I, honestly, of all things, like, really, that's your hill to die on when there are so many other problems with this outfit. You're going to complain about the chin guard? Seriously? But, you know, whatever. It, it just kind of feels like, again, you and I are sort of the lone voices in the wilderness when it comes to the, uh, that flare or that piping or whatever it is that I, I just don't like it. it. It almost looks like, 
he's like his suit is cracking or it's falling apart or something. I, I don't know how else to describe it. You know, if what you were wanting to do was break up all the all the red, there had to be another way to do it. You know, right? And some do. Some artists do it differently. Some do it where the yellow line is very very minimalist. Mm-hmm. They use a very fine point to put the yellow there, and I like that a lot more. But you get any sort of thickness to those lines, and it's just really, really distracting. It becomes a yellow and red costume instead of a red costume. Right. And I want to, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. The, um, I mean, you, you've read some of the New Fifty Two Flash, so you know that like those are all like panels that actually come out and wrap around him. Right. Okay, so they're they're being held together. And by the way, that was another New Fifty Two book that I was reading and was completely on board with. Um, I thought Francis Manipul's art was fantastic. I thought the stories were fantastic. I, I really liked it. And where I dropped out was, it was basically a cliffhanger ending where somebody uh, says, uh, dun, 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 you have to destroy the speed force. And that maybe is the wrong moment to walk out of any Flash comic, but <laughs> that's, that's where I walked out. So, but anyway, I, uh, all of this is to say, it wasn't because of the quality of the comic or what have you. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And Brian Buccioletto is pretty much done and, and told the stories he's wanted to tell. So they're changing hands here in the next couple months. And I don't know how much Valiant you have in your head, but Robert Venditti, who's a big Valiant writer and who's been doing Green Lantern for the last few months, he's picking up the book. Um, he's one of those rising stars in the comic industry. And one of the first things he's doing is um, making a new 52 version of Wally West. I wanted to ask you about that the minute we started getting into the Flash stuff, actually. Um, what I understood was going to be happening was that Mark Wade was going to have some type of involvement with all of this. But um, do you view this necessarily as a good thing, as a bad thing, neutral thing? I mean, what are your thoughts about the return of, of Wally West? I think it's it's kind of humorous because – as soon as we had seen enough of the New 52, maybe the first month or three months to get an idea of, of how the lay of the land was, it was extremely apparent to me that there is zero room for Wally West as you knew him in this new continuity. Right. There's just no room. Right. So any character they want to bring in that they're going to call Wally West is going to have to be, by definition, an extremely different character. Either a brand new eight-year-old kid who discovers that the Flash's, you know, powers and and gets a costume like him, like they did back in the old days, but they're not going to do that because that's not the kind of stories it sells now, or something very, very different. So I am right now extremely curious. And I actually, back in the end of last summer, when I was getting back into, when I was getting into the school year and everything and getting further and further behind in my comics, I actually bailed on almost every book from the big two that doesn't have an S shield or a spider somewhere on it. Oh, wow. So if it didn't, if it wasn't super related or spider related, I dropped it with very few exceptions. Hmm. And then I saw this coming along a couple months ago and I was like, Oh, I really want to know what, I, I, I just want to know what they're going to do. <laughs> I'm just curious. I'm really intrigued. And so actually this weekend I have been catching up on the flash from his sh- from just before the forever evil thing started up. I've been reading, uh, I've been catching up on the flash and forever evil Rose rebellion. So, wow. um, when it hits in, what is it? March or whatever, I'll be there, be there to see what happens. I'll let you know. 
All right. Well, please do. And <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny that Wally West to people our age, it's like he's he's the Hal Jordan of our generation, right? Right. Right. And I guess what I mean by that is the new the new guy, the replacement, the one who kind of set the tone not only for that particular comic book or that particular co- or, uh, property, but I guess that era. Right. That basically everything that was happening in the 90s. And, yeah, I realize he kind of became he really became the Flash in the 80s. But honestly, fuck it. He is to me. uh, Wally West epitomizes everything that made the 90s a really fun fucking time in comics. And for that to have been undone, it's not just the fact that now you're undoing an era, which is bad enough. But I do feel like, you know, I understand completely why it was that people got pissed off when 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 Barry was brought back I'm, I completely relate to that and honestly I relate to that more than I than I relate to people getting ticked that Hal's coming back because that really does not affect Kyle if you think about it I mean the grander right. scheme of things in fact if anything it only really works to enhance uh, Kyle's contribution he was the torchbearer and everyone kind of has to pay homage to that fact right you can't really bring Wally back – or sorry, you can't really bring Barry back though without kind of undermining Wally. And there is that. you know, He's he's our character, and I get that. But I think really what people really responded to on a more visceral level was the fact that their era in comics, the, the point in time when a lot of us cut our teeth on this hobby, that's what's being shown the door here, that those stories aren't good enough, that – that era shouldn't count. These characters are no fun. Nobody cares about Linda Park and stuff. And honestly, I don't think people really felt that way at all. And I think that that was a at the heart of a lot of the opposition. And to me, you're really running a risk if you bring Wally or yeah, if you bring Wally back because people are gonna they're not gonna remember maybe the lean years when Grant Morrison was writing the book. What they're gonna think about is Mark Wade at his prime writing Wally West stories, and that's the benchmark you're going to have to hit. Not only that, you're actually going to have to go beyond that because he's been away for so long. He was disenfranchised the way he was. He was pretty much fucking disowned. And well, I see my it, impression is that once Barry came back, even long before Flashpoint ever got heard of, once Barry Allen came back is that Wally West started getting sidelined. Yes. And so long before continuity undid his existence, people were wanting more Wally West. And so that was like the final nail in the coffin and the final, you know, rallying point. You know, Wally, we wanted Wally for so long. And instead of giving us more Wally, you took him away completely. And so, yeah, um, I think the only way this is going to succeed at all is if they do something unexpected and different. But then if they do something unexpected and different, why call him Wally West? And that's that, that's kind of where, where I'm coming at it, too. What I think is going to happen, and I reserve the right to be wrong, the way I see it playing out <clears throat> is that basically people are going to expect like vintage Mark Wade, and they're going to get basically New 52 Wally, whatever that means, and I think there's going to be a fucking rebellion. And yeah. like I just said a while ago, you know, one of the inspirations for my show is find your comic book joy. This ain't going to bring a whole lot of joy to a whole lot of people. And, <laughs> That's that's anyway. That's just the prediction I'm going to make, and we'll see if I'm right or not. But I I think you know people who are jumping for joy and cheering about this, they may end up being very fucking disappointed when all said and done. 
the rumor that I heard, and I honestly don't know how much truth there is in this, but the rumor that I heard is that the recent reverse Flash story that was done in The Flash that turned out to be Iris's brother was going to be Wally. You are shitting me. I would be out riding in the streets if, if it had come to that. That's just what I heard, that, the, the, that Wally was going to be the reverse Flash. I have no idea if it's true or not. And it doesn't really matter at this point because, you know, that story has been done for three or four months now anyway. It started, you know, the better part of a year ago. So, but Brian Buccioletto was going to bring back Wally and make him the reverse Flash. Now, I have a question for you. Did you follow the Flash leading up to Flashpoint? That year of Jeff Johns right before it started? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I did not. All right. Um Originally, I went into like Flashpoint as a crossover before it came out that this is going to be basically the beginning of the New 52. That was not known at the time. Right. And honestly, I, Jeff Johns' work on Superman had so kind of sent me off the deep end that the idea of wanting to uh, – uh, the idea of reading something he's doing with The Flash didn't interest me. The fact that it's Barry Allen specifically – really didn't interest me. And I kind of had a chip on my shoulder about it, right? But, you know, this is a this is a big DC event and maybe I can give it a shot. Picked up Flashpoint and for everything that it was and wasn't, I was really digging on it. So the mm -hmm. the commitment I made to myself was, okay, you know what? After Flashpoint, I'm going to go back, I'm going to read the Jeff Johns Flash starting from issue number 1 and then just going right on through. And what I did not get at the time, what I did not understand, was that whole Flashpoint storyline, that really could have been done within the context of the Jeff Johns Flash, and then that would have been, like, Flashpoint number one could have simply been issue number 13. And then you just continue the numbering, because it really is perfectly of a piece. Everything that he was doing, everything that happened in Flashpoint is very carefully set up. And... The one thing I can say about bringing Barry back into continuity is that Flashpoint ultimately fucking justified it. You know, there was a story that was being told there. Now, you can like the story or you can not like it. You can appreciate the fact that Barry's back in continuity or you can not appreciate it. But what you cannot argue is that that is that a purpose wasn't served. And that was really clearly demonstrated. If you go back and you read those um, Jeff Johns issues of The Flash and then immediately read Flashpoint after it. It's so it's it, all one it, thing. Yeah, it, it, it's perfect, and that's one of the things that you know. Like I said, my big problem with Jeff Johns is the minute you put him on Batman, especially Batman, or the minute you put him on Superman, bad shit happens. All right, but you can't say that the guy doesn't have just is a insane, crazy vision and stories that he wants to tell, and then he fucking tells them like gangbusters and. The easiest thing I think it is for people to read. I think Flashpoint that was like that was six issues, was it? I want to say yeah, it was five. It was five because oh. uh, read Flashpoint five was the mantra at San Diego Comic Con the one year I went. Oh okay, all right. So so there were twelve issues of the Jeff Johns Flash, then five issues of Flashpoint. So twelve plus five that comes out to seventeen. Seventeen, Usually, yeah. yeah, seventeen. Anybody can read seventeen comics, right? I'm telling you, if if you sit down and do that and just just try to accept the fact that, yes, this is Barry, and just try to – whatever your feelings are about Wally, if you can, just put that aside for a minute. Just read this as a Barry story and just accept it. It's a, it's a fucking great story, dude. Very highly recommended. Now, 
maybe you you love everything that the new 52 is up to and maybe you don't again try to put that shit aside too just as a story unto itself it's fucking yeah. awesome it's great well i i i'm one of those who tries to embrace all the eras um i i i to me there's no incongruity between really enjoying the new continuity and at the same time going back and enjoying the old continuity there's 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 no conflict of interest there for me it's just it's two different areas of comics comics change all the fucking time mm. there's always and especially nowadays whenever the market is based on let's throw new shit at the wall and see what sells that is that is the mantra of current comics is just trying new crap to keep the industry alive and you know they're doing a pretty good job because the industry is growing but so it, there's no problem with me of you know okay so it's Barry Allen before New Fifty Two he's been brought back I'll maybe do some wikiing to see exactly what's going on in his life and then read the seventeen issue run and, and, and go from there so um, it is something I've been meaning to do because I did go into Flashpoint um well, why did I read Flashpoint because I'm pretty sure I started reading it before I heard about the New Fifty Two but I don't remember now why I started reading it um I don't know I've slept since then. <laughs> but I, I did read the Flashpoint series and the Superman-related uh, minis at the time they were coming out, even though I wasn't reading anything else DC at the time. And then whenever they announced the New 52 was coming as a result, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, Go ahead. They create this entire huge new what-if universe, so this Elseworlds thing, this this place where all sorts of stories can be told and that in and of itself, I thought made for a great event premise and then using that to create a whole new universe and continuity. I just thought it was an interesting creative choice. Well, the one thing about, and and this is maybe just me nitpicking, but it, it felt like, well, I say it felt like the, it didn't feel like anything. They outright fucking said, that the new 52 is basically the merging together of the pre-Flashpoint DC, like the mainstream DC universe, the Vertigo universe, the and the Wildstorm universe, and then mm -hmm. basically how all of the, all of the, their unique histories affected each other, and and basically created this this new timeline, right? Basically, they had this; those three universes had you know basically a threesome with each other one night, and then nine months down the line, here comes the new 52. That's and that's the baby of it all, right? I can see that, yeah. And one of the things that I thought was, you know, it just kind of felt like it was a missed opportunity. They had just, like you said, they had just created this new continuity universe with Flashpoint. Now, obviously, it was imperfect. It was a very twisted, very fucking dark future. But you have to admit, I mean, they did. There were no shortage of concepts coming out of that uh, time altered future, and it kind of felt like, well, what if? They they instead of it being those three things, they'd also included that tangent universe where basically all that shit had gone wrong. And so maybe and I'm trying to think of like a really good example of something from from the tangent universe. I don't know. I'm blanking. Like, like where uh, where Batman is actually Thomas Wayne. Something like that. I don't know, maybe something that explosive, but something that out there is you know, Thomas Wayne being Batman, I mean, holy shit, you talk about you've just, or here's one, you know, maybe everybody remembers what the old universe was like, but we now know that the universe we live in is somehow wrong, and Thomas Wayne, instead of being Batman, you know, he's still alive, except now, rather than being Batman, he's now the Joker, or something else, fuck it, I don't know, you know, but they could have 
really basically they had a what i'm saying is they had a sort of a golden opportunity to include yet another universe into all that and you know whatever it it's not from it, it's not my business to judge i just kind of thought some good ideas could have come out of that you know uh wonder woman and aquaman either being an item or having been an item at one point you know that it, i just i thought it had a lot of disco potential yeah yeah well on a similar note, the Superman Wonder Woman pairing is one of my favorite aspects of current continuity. That's just one of those things that I love. I know that a lot of people think that, you know, oh, Superman, you know, he has to have a, a human girlfriend to, to, to ground him and everything. But I think the current Superman we have is already pretty well grounded. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's a very human Superman that we have right now. And and Wonder Woman is helping to see help actually helping him to see the more super aspects of himself. And um, that whole relationship and the way that Charles Soule is writing it over in Superman Wonder Woman. I know you've sort of said goodbye to the new 52. Mm-hmm. But if you just want to try one super book, mm-hmm. go get the Superman Wonder Woman issues. They they it's 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 an, a very well done story. Um, but. Well, I don't understand, I guess, why people were – they were objecting to that. I mean, okay, number one, this is a new era, like you were saying. And so it first of all, it just doesn't make sense to expect elements of the old era to pop up. Mm-hmm. But I guess number two, nobody's saying Superman isn't eventually going to end up with Lois. We're just saying he's not with Lois right now. That's not on the horizon. And so why not pair Superman up with, with Wonder Woman or why not let him – uh, I don't know, just date other people. I mean, it's not. Ri- I mean, look. I, to me, it's it's starting to become kind of mythos that Superman ends up with 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 Lois. I think the time to you know fuck with that too much is kind of come and gone. But it, nobody ever said that he has to start off with her mm-hmm. in the in the picture. And so I don't know. It just it, to me, it feels like it's kind of missing. Speaking as somebody who isn't reading this shit, it just kind of feels like it's missing the forest for the trees when you know. That there's a very good chance that this whole thing could be fixed, whatever you, whatever that means to you, for this to be fixed, so that eventually he does end up with Lois. It's just not happening right now. It, you know, it just, I don't get that. Right. Yeah. It's since they're not starting out together, there's a lot of room for stories around that, and I think that for those who are reading it, the appreciation for the way that this this Superman not being with Lois and the things they're doing with that, I hear a lot more appreciation for that than for the Spider-Man's not with Mary Jane. So what are they going to do with that that they've been doing over in the Spider-Man books? Because I, I hear a lot of people complaining, oh, they had to split up the marriage for this, huh? Blah, 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 blah. A lot of cynicism from that, but that, I don't that, know. That leads into something actually I wanted to ask you about. Are people <laughs> still complaining about the Peter MJ stuff? Or has that kind of... <sighs> kind of tapered there's it, it people there are it does get brought up people still bring it up and i actually know people who you know i respect and who aren't you know they are not usually what you would call haters or big cynics or whatever but they are not going to read spider-man again until he and mary jane are back together uh and that's just you know there are people who have that opinion and that's that's fine um but they're Spider-Man has been so good lately with the Superior Spider-Man run from Dan Slott. I just loved that book. Um, I don't 
honestly look forward to Amazing coming back because I've been enjoying Superior so much. But, you know, they have to go back to the status quo eventually. Right. And I, the minute... Okay, we're, it's going to kind of diverge, but I'm going to bring us back. I basically, I think the obvious answer here for why it's being, it's coming back to to Peter, you know, it, Spider Auk has been around for quite a while now, and oddly enough, people have responded to that in very interesting ways. But anyway, Spider Auk has been around for a while now, but we've got a new Spider-Man movie coming out soon. And that mm-hmm. movie just looks so fucking cool. I think Marvel is correctly guessing this is going to generate new interest in the character. At least enough for maybe some people to go out and pick up some Spider-Man comics. And I understand the mentality of wanting to basically have somebody who's recognizably and demonstrably Spider-Man being Spider-Man. That right. totally makes sense to me. So, But it, I kind of liken it to Electric Superman Syndrome where – Like, that storyline gets such a bad fucking rap from people, and the impression I get from the comments people make is that when they were reading this stuff, and they did read it, when they were reading this stuff, they thought this was going to last forever, and that's why they hate it so fucking much that DC lost their way somehow, and fan outcry inspired them to bring things back to normal. That's... And I don't, I don't think that's fucking what happened at all. I think they just basically wanted to tell what they thought was a cool story or something different anyway, always knowing that they're going to bring things back to normal in the end. And so this is just a fun little tangent to go on. And the same kind of thing I think is true of spider Auk. You know, no one ever – or at least nobody in their right mind should have thought this was going to be permanent. But the way that people talk about it – I mean, my god, man, the things that people have said about uh, Dan Slott – who I don't I don't really have anything against one way or the other, but the way that people have just called that guy's maternal lineage into question. <laughs> I mean, my God, did you really think this was intended to last forever? And anyway, and, and it's just it's an interesting thing to to bitch and complain about, is what I'm saying. Yeah, they did try to sell it as being the thing. I mean, oh. anyone who's paid attention to Stephen Wacker should know that Wacker lies is as much of a mantra as Moffat lies with Doctor Who. The man just lies. And he does it to build interest and to sell product. And that's, you know, his job is to build interest and sell product. So, hey. But he did sell Superior Spider-Man as, you know, what Barry Allen is to Jay Garrick. That's what this new Spider-Man is to Peter Parker. Peter Parker's had his day. He had a 50-year story. He is dead. This is the new Spider-Man. Ah, all right. But they knew that that wasn't the case. They knew that this is a story they were going to tell and they were going to revert it back to the movie. And so some people bought the line and some people didn't. Um, to, to use him again, just because I've been listening to his show so much, uh, Andy Leyland over Hey Kids Comics, he and Michael had quite a bit of back and forth over whether this was a story or a status quo. Um. And it turns out that, sure enough, it was actually just a story. And I just it's, – it's like people can't agree on whether or not to hate it because it's a new status quo change and they're going to hate that or to hate it because it's just a story and they're just using it for a cheap gimmick and you know everything's going to come back at the end. We can be cynical that it's coming back to Peter Parker after 18 months or we can be cynical that it's a terrible story change and – Oh my gosh, what have you done to Peter? And it's just, 
the the internet can't agree on why to hate things. It's like no matter what the writers do to make things interesting, there's going to be an outcry against it. And I just really, really get tired of them, the 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 fans out there who just bitch about everything. Right. Because I, I like you said, I, I I like my joy. I enjoy liking comics. And the reason I like comics or the reason I read comics is because I like them and I don't want to not like them. Right. And it kind of comes down to that, to that uh, question that I think a lot of podcasters before me have posed rhetorically, but I I do think there's food for thought here. Are you buying this comic book because you're getting something out of the story or are you buying this comic so that you can get on get online later and tell everybody what a what an asshole you think Jeff Johns is? And I really think that there are lots of people in that second camp that they're only reading X title, whatever title you want to name, Spider-Man, Superman, whatever. They only read it so they can bitch later about it. And you know, I kind of have to agree with that and you know, we have a a term for people who have that problem. We call them sadists. They are mentally <laughs> ill. All right, you need help. You need help. And if you don't it, look, if you don't get help at Charter, get help somewhere. Right. And, you know, I mean, dude. I I guess I, look at the end of the day, dude. I mean, look, there are so fucking many things, and I, I hate to play the first world problem card because I fucking hate it when people do that. But dude, there are so fucking many things out there that are, that that are gonna fucking kill you someday, right? If it's sec, if you know, you got secondhand smoke, some guy losing control of his car, you can keel over and have a fucking heart attack at any moment. I mean, do you really want to have a lifetime of anger, bitterness, and resentment? Like that's your sole legacy. Like, hey, you remember that guy who, when he found out that uh, that's a uh, Doctor Octopus was going to be the new Spider-Man, he keeled over and had a fucking heart attack, died right here in the comic book store. Man, it's the most fucked up thing I've ever. Like, really, you're the heart attack guy. That's what everybody remembers. <laughs> you know, you you seriously want to be that guy? You know, and it, and it just kind of feels like, you know, we have an entire – God help us. We, it feels like we sort of have sort of like an, an entire generation of people. Like if that's the note that they check out on, that's totally fine as long as people remember it. And, uh, you know, fuck, man. I mean – geez, now I'm getting angry. All right. Um, <laughs> getting angry about the anger. Yeah. No, well, I, I just – I think at the end of the day, we we need to remember why we're in this hobby. And it's because superheroes are fun. And sure, the definition of that fun has changed over the years, and now the writers and creators seem to feel that fun is more moody and more emotionally driven stories. But the reason that they feel that way is because that's what has sold for the last 10 years. So they're only doing what they've been told to do by their sales numbers, and if you don't like the way things are going, go back to the old comics. There's lots more you haven't read. Go read all those things you weren't going to read. We're in this in this hobby to have fun, right? Well, and in relation to that, and uh, maybe this is a good a good point to to close it out. But just just so I can show that I'm putting my money where my mouth is, we're getting much much later later on down the line. But you remember I told you that I've got this big fucking massive list of uh, episodes and stuff that I want to that I want to uh, get to. Mm-hmm. Starting in the new year, 20, 2015, right? I've got a series that, among other things, it's going to center on Batman. Now, I've said again and again, I'm kind of done with Batman. I'm sick and tired of his fucking cult fan base, all right? And they basically treat Batman comics less as comics and more like revealed fucking religious texts or something like that. Their tongues are so far up Batman's asshole that, my God, it's just – it really is sick. 
It, it's really sick. And, I, and what I want to do, and again, much fucking later down, later on down the line, is basically talk about you know Batman comics that it's, they're not Bat God. This is long before Grant Morrison got his fingerprints all over the character, and it's basically an era, and not even an era. It's just a, a a couple of Batman stories that I really love that I feel like haven't really gotten a whole lot of play in terms of you know popular fan sentiment. And maybe I can do my part to kind of turn that around. I don't want to say what those stories are because I want to leave a little something, something to chance here. But, you know, for as much as I've bitched and complained about, you know, the prevalence of Batman in recent years and God knows his fucking annoying fans, I'm still going to cover I'm, I'm still going to cover those Batman comics. And I, it, by the way, if you're counting toes, it's not a coincidence. I'm waiting until his 76th anniversary to do all of that. <laughs> I'm, believe me, I'm not going to be part of the cult of personality that, that overtakes 2014 when it, when it comes to Batman. Believe that. And, but, you know, there's still a lot there to, to be appreciative of and, and to value and enjoy. And if, guys, if I can put aside my personal feelings, look, I'm one of the angriest, most reactionary people that I know. That My hair is red for a reason. If I can put aside all my bullshit and just enjoy the stuff that, that I remember liking or maybe experiment with new stuff that I think I, I will enjoy, if I can do it, anybody can do it. So, Well, on a similar note, as someone who similarly doesn't have a whole lot of love for Batman, um, the, the Batman Eternal stuff that they've been promoting lately is really kind of making my eyebrows rise. So I may have to check some of that out. But I do have a lot of love for Golden Age Batman. And um, I oh, want to yeah, read more stuff Bronze Age. So yeah, so good. it's funny because Silver Age, like late fifties, early sixties, world's finest comics, mm. is so insane with their storylines and plot lines, and yet that creative team on World's Finest Comics was also the creative team on a lot of the Batman stories at the time. Mm. So it's like, okay, the Batman of the late fifties and early sixties was insane. <laughs> but as a Superman fan, I've been getting like little bits of that because that those people are doing World's Finest comics. So not entirely sure that I can stomach a whole lot of that period of Batman. But Golden Age Batman is great stuff. Um, Untold Legends of the Batman is as much Bronze Age as I've read, but I love that miniseries. And uh, if if that's the Batman of the '70s, I really want to read more of him. Really, you like you? You're pretty much raw when it comes to Batman in the '70s. Mm-hmm. I know, I know that that's where Rachel Ghoul comes from. I know that that's where a lot of good Denny O'Neill and all that stuff comes into play in Batman. But I just, I haven't read it. All right. Well, I, then I think you're really like, again, I don't want to set your expectations up too high, but I, I think you're really going to enjoy when you finally get to it. The Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers run on a Detective Comics. I would say, if Batman were to ever have a definitive run. That's about as close as I as I can imagine. Basically, all of the main the, the the big name rogues are in there, and it's a it's it's actually it's it's funny how fucking modern that story is mm -hmm. because it's it is ultimately one story, but it's it's made up of different parts, different passages and movements, and so you know one part of like one issue is uh, one supervillain, and then the next they're going up against somebody else, and then the next and somebody else. But there's a there's a clear through line through all of it. And so I think you're really going to dig it. And um, so, I, again, I can't wait to hear what you think about that, too, when the time comes. That's fucking awesome. In fact, you know what? I've got episode – let's see. I'm up to number – episode number 379. 380 is going to be the Englehart Marshalls run. 
on Detective okay. Comics. So I'm putting that in right now. Run on Detective Com. All right, very good. All right, here we go. <laughs> so uh, some good came out of all of this. So, yeah, I've got an idea for episode 380. Awesome. What, do you mind if I uh, pit my stuff before uh, Absolutely, yeah. you uh, get me out of your room? Yeah, that, that, that's actually where, where I was going to go next. Now, yeah, go right ahead. Okay. Well, like I mentioned earlier in the show, um, the new 52 Adventures of Superman is a show that I um, – there's some 45 episodes out there now uh, from his first 18 months of comics, and then the show went away for a while. And just in the last couple months, I've been bringing it back with a change of format. Instead of doing issue by issue, I'm covering a single trade volume in each episode. Wow. So the world's finest uh, volume two had an episode recently and Superboy volume three has an episode that I'm editing this weekend. It'll probably be up by the time this episode goes up. I don't know when your publishing schedule is. Um, so about once a month I'm putting out those episodes because that's about how often the trade releases are coming out. Um, Avengers Inspirations is a show that I do with my 12-year-old daughter looking at 1960s Avengers-related comics. Um, we're mostly doing the solo series right now because we haven't actually hit Avengers number one yet. But Iron Man, Ant-Man, Thor, and the Hulk have been our our uh, topic over there. That's Avengers Inspirations. And um, very rarely – not nearly as often as like as I would like, but oh so every now and then I put out an episode of Golden Age Superman, where I am looking at the 1940s adventures of the Man of Steel in a month by month progression. But that is a, that is a show that um, that I podcast as I read rather than trying to put out a podcast that I have to read for. So whenever I read some Golden Age Superman, I go and make a show about it. Um, so yeah, those three can all be found by searching for their names. I can give you uh, web addresses, but Google is wonderful for that sort of thing. New 52 Adventures of Superman, Avengers Inspirations, and Golden Age Superman. Yeah, and for Golden Age Superman, I, I just wanted to chime in. I haven't read a whole lot of Golden Age Superman. That is due to change. And when I do, what I actually have, I, I actually have your page uh, bookmarked. What I'm going to do is actually kind of use that as a sort of companion to what I'm doing, and um, at least to start with. It's a, We're still a few weeks away or months away from that, so, you know. Maybe you have time to get one more out. But anyway, the point is, yeah, that's going to be a little uh, companion thing for me. So, Well, neat. Well, I hope, I hope, uh, hope you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure I will. And, and anyway, I just want to thank you again for uh, coming on. Also, uh, I'm just glad that we finally got a chance to uh, make good on the promise that we, that we made. I mean, shit. What, it was like we're coming up on six months ago when we first agreed to do this, isn't it? Well, at the end of the day, it just saves me a hitman fee. So, you know, we're, we're good. Yeah, right. And that's the thing. I mean, my house is secure. Not that secure. So uh, I don't think it, it, it could keep a hitman out. So, yeah, it's very good. Awesome. Well, I think that's basically it for both of us. So bye, everybody. And I'll see you next week. And we are out. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman.
Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Neymar and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a ten-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libson.com. Every legend has a beginning. Originally, this is going to be where the show ended. Makes sense? I felt like the show had gone on for about long enough. Honestly, maybe longer than was absolutely necessary, but whatever. The point is, there was nothing wrong with the runtime that I had. This thing had gone on long enough, and so it probably was time to end the show. But there's really no other episode I'll ever be able to put this little, uh, you know, everything that I'm about to say, this little spiel I'm about to go into. There is no other episode in, into which this, uh, this could ever go, so I'm just gonna go through it here and just see what happens, and uh, if, in case it wasn't obvious, I'm just working completely off notes here, I'm just speaking totally off the top of my head, and so we're gonna see how that turns out too, so... Basically, this episode marks the one-year anniversary of the debut of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. And for those of you who don't know, there is a sort of silly origin story. In fact, depending on how you look at it, there are several origin stories. 
Petrenus Magnus punches reality, but the one that, and I actually and I talked about those at length with uh, Scott Rifen uh, in his shoot the shit episode. This was episode number 42, dated May the 6th, and uh, basically talked to him about it and you know outlined a lot of what happened. You know, basically I, I guess the E True Hollywood secret origin, behind the scenes, top secret, you know, bullshit behind my show. So, you know, how it all came about and everything, and and so that, that was pretty much that. And for those of you who are interested in hearing me talk about that, you know, that would probably be the episode to go back to. I want to say it's probably at somewhere like near... With like, I, I want to say like 20 or 30 minutes left until the end of episode 42. That's where uh, Rifen and I start talking about it. So if you're interested in hearing me talk about that, that's where you need to go. What I haven't talked too much about is why it was that Trennis Magnus, Puncher's Reality, came out on Tuesday, August the 20th, 2013. And so I figure, you know, this might be a good little chance to uh, get into that. Basically, what had happened was, I guess after the events that I talked about in episode 42, you know, after those things had happened, I started putting together just different ideas for what my show could be. You know, how might things turn out? And one of the things that I did was I just recorded several shows up front and what I noticed was that by the time I got to something like episode 6 or something like that and mind you we're, we're, we're speaking on a very relative scale here so just bear that in mind because I'm, I'm very well aware of how primitive my first several episodes actually are but one of the things that became apparent to me was that by, the, uh, by about the time I started recording episode 5 or 6 you know around there I had improved my game, again, on a completely relative scale, I had improved my game uh, in a big bad way. And as a result of that, what I started doing is I listened back to my very first episode, which as I've said time and again, this was about Smallville and defending Smallville, the TV show, and I started listening to that and I realized, you know what? That's not as good as it could be. So I re-recorded it. Now listen to it again, and I still really wasn't all that happy about it. And I was actually planning to, uh, I think, record it for what would have been like the fourth or fifth time before I, you know, and I was hoping that one, you know, I would finally be, you know, happy with it and everything. But what ended up happening, and I've sort of alluded to this in the past, but, you know, basically there were external forces that kind of forced my hand in uh, releasing the show when I did, August the 20th, 2013. There were external forces there that ended up kind of pushing me out the door a little bit sooner than I might have wanted to go. And nothing more complicated to it than that. Basically what happened, and, and before I even get into that, I just want to say, Scott Gardner, if you're listening, this is not me criticizing you. This is me having a panic attack over something uh, at the time that all this was happening. This was me having a panic attack, and... You know, trying to, you know, do what I thought was the smart thing to do. And uh, we'll see how well that ends up turning out. But, you know, anyway, point is, 
please do not be offended by this because this is more to be this is intended to be more of like a uh, sort of an amusing anecdote and not you know a criticism of uh, of you so if you take nothing else away from this scott if you're listening scott gardner please do not get offended by this it's basically supposed to be for entertainment purposes only but what happened was uh, there was an episode of Comics Monthly Monday. Two True Freaks Comics Monthly Monday. And Scott ended up playing my promo. Now, here's the thing. I'd sent him my promo for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Basically, sort of just to get him on a... You know, get his... Get some notes on a few things. But also just, I guess, let him know that this is coming. And so, you know, just something to be aware of. And... I didn't tell him not to share that. I just said, you know, I would like to know what you think of this. Well, next thing you know, it pops up in an episode of Comics Monthly Monday. And now all of a sudden it feels like, holy shit, I have got to get this thing, you know, this podcast that I don't even completely feel comfortable with yet. Now I feel like I have to get this thing up off the ground. And again, Scott, if you're listening, please don't be like pissed off or hurt or anything over that because, you know, like I said, this was me you know, trying to deal with the situation as best I could. So I'm not trying to talk shit or anything like that. Just saying that's what happened. And so I ended up pushing uh, that first episode where I defend Smallville. I ended up pushing that out the door a little bit earlier than I intended to. All right. Basically what I wanted to do was sort of expand some parts of my notes, cut back on some other parts of my notes, kind of speed up and improve upon the delivery of it, and basically just make a better final product. And that ended up not happening. I, I think what I put out there was okay, you know, but I don't think it was necessarily the best that it could have been. I mean, I think if I were to do it right now, well, actually, in a, in a weird kind of way, I am doing it right now with my eighth episode, Smallville Retrospectives. But what I'm saying is if I had to do that or an episode like it right now, I could probably do a much better job with it, both from a technical standpoint, but also in, in terms of just communication and speaking and expressing an idea and everything. I feel like I could go further with it now than I could back then, but fuck it. You know, whatever. Live and learn. Nothing's perfect in life. So anyway, and... That was basically the, you know, that was sort of my reference point on it, that it wasn't as good as it could have been, but like I said, I ended up kind of having to push it out the door when I did and, you know, just sort of hope for the best. And, you know, I've really got nothing to complain about when it comes to that because the response to that to that show was actually pretty good. And it felt like right from the start, you know, there was a... And I, I honestly don't know like specific names or anything like that, but there was, there were people out there that sort of got what I was trying to do with this show and sort of locked in on it pretty much right away. And as far as I know, those seem to be my most dedicated listeners now, the ones that were in on the ground floor to begin with. So certainly there's that. Um, the other thing though is that as I you know went through. You know, each of these episodes, I got better from a, a from a technical standpoint uh, uh, at a, I guess, creating a podcast. You know, doing little things like, you know, clipping out, you know, goof ups and, you know, mixing in, uh, I don't know, music or something like that. You know, I, 
I feel I felt like I got a little bit better about that. What ended up happening though was that I just was not very good at it to begin with, and there were a few comments made that just sort of put the fear of God in me. And so what I ended up doing was because the music I think maybe had been a little too loud previously. I, I tended to start burying it way, way down in the mix. And what I've recently decided is, you know what? People might be listening to this on speakers. They might be listening to this show on earbuds. Uh, it could be uh, inside of their car. It, and some people actually listen to stuff just like coming out of their iPhone, not with e- not with any, not with earbuds or anything like that, but with just straight straight out of their iPhone speaker. And what I, what I've decided is I've recorded this to sound a certain way. It sounds good on my uh, computer speakers here and it sounds good when I quality control check it in my car. If it sounds good in both of those, I'm not going to fuck with it too much anymore. You know, I've decided, you know, I I really don't want to cater to people who have shitty equipment. Upgrade your shit, people. But I'm done trying to, you know, uh so a mollycoddle and uh, people that you know want to listen do I mean you know listen to stuff just projecting out of your iPhone okay well dude look if that's how you want you want to do it be my guest but understand I don't give a damn about what that sounds like it sounds good on the platforms that I tested out on that's all I care about and I realize that's maybe a little bit snooty and everything and in fact it even sounds a little bit aggressive and I don't want to sound you know like that but I'm just saying that you know I can't really mix this stuff for every possible conceivable way that somebody might listen to this stuff. So, you know, the way I see it, you know, you can listen to this on your computer speakers. You should be able to listen to it in your car. If you've got a decent enough system in there, some good speakers in there. Otherwise, dude, it's not my problem. Upgrade your shit. So, you know, it's just the way I feel about it. And so hopefully, you know, the music for those of you who are listening to it on the right platform sounds better now. But, you know, overall, I look back on this year of podcasting and everything, and, you know, I see that there are certain uh, sort of trends, you know, that came about, and some of them I've talked about, like the technical stuff, you know, like speaking and, you know, conveying an idea and all of that stuff. And then, you know, like more, I guess, uh, tech-oriented stuff, you know, mixing and editing and all of that fun stuff. And... You know, honestly, this show is, even now, it's still not what what I want it to be. We're just getting closer to it, that's all. So, but it's, you know, I think most podcasters tend to be a little bit, they're more critical of themselves than the majority of, uh, you know, their audience. And so I guess there's, you know, something to be said there for, uh, you know, maybe being too hyperly critical of oneself, you know, in ways that honestly other people probably aren't and, you know, would never dream of being, but... Even so, you know, it's one of those things that I just kind of have to acknowledge to myself. This show is not, you know, as, and I mean more from like a production value standpoint. This show is not everything that I would want it to be. But that's life, you know. I mean, the way that it is right now, and I'm looking at this in iTunes, and so, you know, that's how I, that's how I know. But the way that it is right now, uh, I have... Uh, at the time that I record what you're hearing right now, you understand? I have recorded um, and released 55 shows. That works out to, let's see, seconds, minutes, hours. So that works out to three days, five hours, 49 minutes, and 32 seconds worth of material here. And, you know, for those of you who like trivia, 
14 hours, 39 minutes, and 27 seconds of that is just big book stuff with Chris Honeywell. So, something to, you know, just something to keep in mind there. But, you know, as I say, you know, I look back on, on I guess, the history of this show, and, you know, there are some things that, like I say, if I had it again, I would, you know, I would do, I would do some things very differently. But, like I say, that's life. Live and learn. What I can say is that, and you know what, again, there's no way to say, to say this next part without sounding kind of, you know, full of myself and arrogant and all that stuff. But, it, you know, it kind of is the way that I feel. I mean, it never crossed my mind that I wouldn't last a year. Actually, let me put it another way. It never crossed my mind that I didn't have at least a year's worth of shit to talk about. As a matter of fact, you know, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know I've got a shitload more stuff than that. I mean, I could see this show going until at least 2018, 2019, 2020, you know, around there. Just on the stuff that I have on my big list here, there's just no way it's, you know, my show isn't going to go for a hell of a long time. So the idea of it going for a year, I knew that I had enough material here to do that. But, you know, what I'm really proud of is the fact that you know, you listeners have responded to it so well. You podcasters have, you know, welcomed me on board with open arms. And I have to say that, you know, I, one thing I've kind of noticed is that that's not always the case. It can be sometimes a little bit difficult for a podcaster to uh, pick up an audience. It can also be difficult for that podcaster, I guess, to sort of make inroads inside of the podcasting community. But the Two True Freaks Podcasting Network has welcomed me as one of their own. And when you really think about it, they didn't have to do that. They could just as easily have left me out in the cold, and honestly, nobody would have lost any any sleep over it. But, you know, they welcomed me uh, and, you know, made me feel, you know, right at home. And everything had pointers when I wanted them, support when I needed it. And, you know, overall... It's just been a really fun ride. And, you know, I look at, you know, some of the things that I've got lined up for, you know, the future. Like I said, you know, I've got things plotted out to Tuesday, June the 28th, 2016. And what I mean, what I mean is I've got, I, you know, I know what I want to talk about in, uh, you know, up to then. I don't have most of that stuff recorded. I just know what I want to talk about. I know where this podcast is going and that makes me feel pretty good. So, anyway, so, and I've, you know, like I say, I mean, I've been doing this for a year, and I just, I really enjoy it, you know. I, I've really gotten a kick out of it. And there there have been moments, and I talked about a few back in my 50th episode. There have been moments where it really looked like this show was maybe going to have to go away, like, altogether. Or at the very least, it was going to have to have a uh, modified type of release schedule, or any number of things that might happen. And so far, I've been able to maintain and continue a weekly release schedule. And I got to tell you, a great big part of that comes down to the fact that, you know, you listeners have, you know, have really been supportive of all of this. And so I really, again, I really do appreciate everything that you guys have done here. You know, it really means it it really makes a difference. So thank you. And uh, as to as to the future, like I say, I mean, I've got a shitload of stuff here that's on on the menu and the way that it is right now. Let's see. This is this episode is set to come to, to be released on August the 19th, 
2014. After which I'm going to spend a good chunk of, you know, the rest of August going right on through probably to the end of October. Or actually, yeah, yeah, the end of October uh, with my uh, Superman mega series, where I basically just shoot the shit about how awesome Superman is and observance of his uh, 76th anniversary. And then, you know, after all of that, I'm going to spend, uh, I've got one more, actually, no, I don't. I've got, I'm basically going to spend the, uh, the rest of uh, the year just kind of hanging around, you know, uh, just talking about the comics that I'm interested in, no real, you know, uh, mini-series or anything like that going on, just basically comics, movies, and TV shows that I love, you know, and that's basically how I plan to finish out 2014. Starting in 2015, that's going to be the year of my mini, uh, the year of the miniseries, because I've got a sort of oddball type of miniseries planned for the beginning of uh, 2015. Then I'm going to go back to not really having any kind of a theme or miniseries or anything like that going on. All of that building up to my epic, epic, epic 100th episode, at which time the gloves are coming off, and I'm going to spend everything starting from July of 2015 going right on through to uh, it looks like basically uh, it looks like the uh, July of 2016 basically a full year doing all miniseries so basically from June of 2015 to June of 2016 all miniseries and honestly I think that's I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's going to be a major pain in my ass. I know this is going to be a lot of work. But at the same time, I think it's going to it's really going to be a lot of fun. Basically spending that entire time uh, going through, you know, just different mini-series and things that, that I'm interested in. Right? And comics, that many of which I've never even read before to be perfectly honest with you, and I'm just really looking forward to that. And so, you know, all around, you know, it's been it's been a hell of a, uh, a lot of fun. It's been a great ride, been a great year, and uh, thank you to all of you, you know, for uh, making this everything that it, you know, everything that it can be. So, there you go, a full year. And again, Scott, I was not talking smack about you. I just thought it was kind of a funny story. You accidentally forced my hand on this and kick-started this podcast a little bit sooner than it was supposed to be started. But, again, no offenses intended. Anyway, so I think that's basically it for me. So, I want to see what's coming up for the next episode, though. That way you guys can at least get an idea of what to expect for next week. Yep, yeah, next week I'm going to be talking about Superman uh Volume 1, number 1 and number 2. Basically, it's going to be the first half of the uh, Superman Archives uh, hardcover. So that's something to look forward to if you're into that. So um, otherwise, I think that's pretty much it. Bye, everybody. I'll see you next week. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that.
Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality, is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S M-A-G-N-U-S Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday and that's a promise Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows That's right Simply click the PayPal link donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play, Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus punches reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy.